Good morning, Creekside. I'm, I'm Mark. I'm one of the pastors here, and man, it's just so good to be worshiping together, to celebrate the Lord's Supper together, and just so good to be with you guys. So my, my message this morning is an attempt to answer the question, uh, what do we do as Christians when the world is on fire? Because, man, it doesn't it feel like the world is on fire? I, um, the smoke, right, that's just coming, and it's like we've had a few days of like, there's no smoke. Okay, we can pretend like nothing's burning, nothing's happening, right? But then the smoke comes back, and it's like, okay, yep, I forgot. The world is on fire, right? And I feel like that's been the case, like, politically, too, right? There's, like, moments where it feels okay. Okay, no, nothing's burning. Everything's fine, right? But then all it takes is, you know, the next news story or the next thing. And, of course, we're reminded, oh, that's right. We're all angry at each other. I forgot about that, right? And we're all so upset. And, and what it is, right, changes, right? There's all the different reasons to be upset at each other, and it's all there. So what do we do? I mean, and I, I've been thinking about it like this, too. I, some people that I love so much have moved away which is so rude, you know? It's just so awful to, they're going to Texas and they're going to Tennessee and they're going to Idaho and, uh, and everyone has their own reasons, right? But some of it is like, when the place that I'm living, I no longer like it anymore, right? It's frustrating and the politics and, um, and the fires and all that kind of stuff. Like, let's just get out of here and let's go somewhere sane where we're not taxed and we're not angry and, you know, and so there's that, that impulse to go and move and I understand it, but I just want to say clearly, it's wrong. Don't ever move, you guys. <laughs> Stay here. It's amazing. We can still be friends. I would rather you be here. There is this, um, there's this pull. There's this uh, tension that we feel, I think, as Christians when the world is on fire and everybody's upset and we don't like what's happening around us to withdraw and to run away and to go someplace else, right? To find our happy place. I remember, uh, you know, as my, uh, growing up as, as, a, um, as a kid into adulthood, uh, my parents and, and their brothers and sisters, they built this cabin, like, up by, like, Sonora. So it was, like, no cell phone reception, hardly any neighbors. Like, there was just nothing there. And you would go, we would go, and they, they just sold it during COVID and everything. But we would go, and it was, like, an actual retreat, you know, because nobody could get a hold of you if they wanted to. And you were just there with the trees and everything else. And so I remember, you know, thinking all the time, like, life is hectic, life is is troublesome. I'm so busy here. I'm so, like, so many stresses and everything else. And then you go, and you find this hideaway in the woods, and it feels amazing. And I'm wondering, like, which, which one of those is, like, my, my real life, okay? Or if we're thinking of it in, in Christian terms, which one of these is the true Christian life? When we're here in the madness and the insanity and the stress and the busyness, or when we're there in our hideaway or retreat? And we might think of it like when we're out home in our neighborhoods, when we're in our jobs, when our workplaces, we're out in our community, or when we're here huddled up and everyone pretty much agrees with each other, right, and we're all fine, nobody's mad at each other that we know of, although that always changes. I think we have this tendency to want to get away from it all, right, this urge to just turn, cut, run, let's, let's, let's hide out, let's go. Um, but I think there's this call, and, and in this passage that we're going to look at this morning, we're going to be in John 17. If you have your, your Bibles, you can open there. I'll put the verses on the screen for you, too. But in John 17, Jesus is praying for his disciples. He's praying for his followers. And he's praying for exactly the situation that I think we find ourselves in, which is this. Jesus has been there. He's come to earth. He's lived his life. He's been present with his people. And as he's been there, now he's going. He's going to leave and go to the Father, okay? So he is not physically present. He was in the world. Now he's going out of the world. But what he does is he leaves us, he leaves his followers in the world, okay? And we know what a rough, frustrating place the world can be, right? So here we are, 
still living in this world, should we want, is this what God wants for us, for us to escape the world, to get out of it, to get away from everything? My answer is going to be no. I'm going to tell you that because I think Jesus' answer is no. Um, Amy Carmichael was this uh, uh, Christian missionary. and I, I like how she says this. She says, one can't save and then pitchfork souls into heaven. Like, I, I love the visual of that, right? Like, save a soul and then you grab your pitchfork and toss them up into heaven. No more good for you to do down here. Let's get you up to heaven, right? She says, souls are more or less securely fastened to bodies. And as you can't get the souls out and deal with them separately— you have to deal with them both together. I love that, that reminder, that call of like, yep, we're all kind of attached. Like our souls, our bodies are pretty attached. So it's not about, Christianity is not about dealing with our souls in some ethereal sense. It's not about, you know, that, that moment where you say like, oh, Jesus, I see your love for me. I see the forgiveness you offer me. I want that. We don't get beamed up and taken out of here, right? There's that, oh, nope, I stay here. I'm in this location. I'm in this place where bodies situated in certain places with souls attached. And I think throughout Scripture, we find that, man, God cares about the place that we're in. And so what do we do when the world's on fire? What do we do when we're frustrated? What do we do when we find ourselves in a place where we don't fully feel at home? How do we live? How do we move? I think Jesus answers that in this prayer. So I'm going to jump into John 17 here. Last week, we looked at the first 10 verses of this. This is where Jesus now, so he's, he's washed his disciples' feet, He's taught them. He's used a parable with them. He's kind of explained, what do you expect? What's going to happen when I go and when I leave? What are you going to do as you carry on? And now this last chapter in John 17, Jesus is uh, calling them to uh, basically, he's, he's like praying to the Father for them. So this is where now he's talking directly to the Father, and he's got his disciples there, and we can kind of picture ourselves sitting on there, and he's praying for us and asking that God would work, that God would speak into, um, that God would, would like care for them. And so here's what he says in verse 11 is where we're jumping in. He says, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So here is Jesus, okay? And he's praying um, that I'm not going to be in the world any longer. I'm going back to the Father. And so what does he want for his people, right? The first question I have, what does he want for his people? Does he want his people to be pulled out and taken out of the world? What, what do you guys think? No, he doesn't, okay? He doesn't. He's leaving us in the world. He's doing it on purpose. And he's going out. And so what does he pray he says it twice here. He says he's praying that the Father would keep them. He's praying that the Father would, um, Holy Father, he says, keep them in your name, which you've given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. He says, Nathan, what is going on? Are you whistling? Love it. Um, there's there's uh, probably ghosts in here. I don't want to freak anybody out. but um, So he's, he's keeping them. And he says, um, he says in verse 12, When I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you've given me. I have guarded them, and, and none of them has been lost, except he's talking about the son of destruction. He's talking about Judas there, and we'll talk about that in a second. But he is praying, so I'm leaving. And so, Father, they're going to be in the world. I'm not praying that you take them out of the world. I'm, uh, they're going to stay there. They're going to be in the world. He actually wants us in the world, okay? But he's saying, keep them. Like, protect them, guard them, um, work with them, keep them connected together. 
And what, what happens is, so he says, I haven't lost any of them. He's, Jesus has, uh, famously, Jesus had 12 disciples, right? But by this point, Jesus has 11 disciples because Judas has now gone out. And Judas, we, you know, you can see him following Jesus around. He's with Jesus. He's doing all the things the other disciples are doing. But then you start getting hints a little bit later on, like, okay, maybe Judas isn't, like, with them, with them, you know? Um, there, there's the woman that comes, and she, like, pours out this expensive perfume on the feet of Jesus as an act of worship. And Judas is really upset. And it's not a matter of uh, good stewardship, like, let's give that money. He says, let's give the money to the poor. But really, it tells us he's actually just stealing money from the whole thing. Judas is beginning to separate himself from this, from this group. Jesus has his disciples, and Judas begins to step away. Jesus begins to choose his side, and he sees, okay, Jesus is kind of like, this ship is kind of sinking. I'm going to step out. I'm going to hand him over. I'm going to be on the good side of this. And Judas separates himself out from the protection, from what God is doing, from this people that he's working with, that he's leading forward in the midst of the thing. And so Jesus is saying, okay, Father, I'm, I'm leaving Keep them, keep this community, keep them one, keep them united, and protect them. Guard them. As I've been guarding them, you protect them. I think in this life, we, uh, life is hard, okay? I don't want to, like, downplay that in the slightest. Life is hard. And I, like, this is, like, first world problems for me. I have a really amazing life. But even so, my life is hard at times. And things happen to us. But I think what we forget is we focus on the problems that we have, and we focus on the pain. And we don't realize the extent to which God is protecting, keeping guarding us in the midst of this broken and hurting world. So when I had, uh, when Laura and I had our, our, our girls, Abigail and Claire, when they were just babies, I'm shocked to learn all the ways that a baby can hurt itself. I mean, it's just like, it's incredible. Like right from the very beginning, they have fingernails and they have hands and they don't know how to use them at all. And so they're just like cutting themselves up. So you could put the boxing gloves on the kid, you know? And then the kid, you lay the kid on the couch. The kid doesn't know how to roll over or do anything. So like perfectly safe on the couch, right? Nope. Baby learns on that moment, right, when, how to, like, roll himself over, and uh, they tumble onto the floor, or if you're a super dad, you dive and catch the kid just in time. You learn to put the pillows around. They're toddling into, like, sharp corners, and they're hitting each other with, like, wiffle bats, and they're just, like, it's incredible the ways that a kid can hurt. And so we were, like, pretty good parents and, like, kept them from most of the harm, right? But sometimes one slips through, and they do just end up hurting themselves. And this picture— that's kind of us with God, right? We're just like these little toddlers, and we're going through life, and we like think we're so grown up, but really we're just kind of like waddling around and wandering in all this danger, and God's just constantly like, no, 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 not there, not that. No, 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 let me lead you away here. Let me bring some people to kind of keep you safe in this way, and God is constantly doing that, and yet still we have this pain in our lives, both that we inflict on ourselves and that other people come up to us and afflict on us. There's, there's plenty of hurts that we feel, but I mean, I think that this, this picture is beautiful of Jesus is praying, okay, I'm leaving them in the world, and the world can be a dangerous place. I'm leaving them there. Lord, I've been keeping them. I've been guarding them. Would you continue to keep them and, and keep them safe? And he says, what's the purpose of all that? He says at the end of verse 13, I'm coming to you. I'm speaking these things in the world that they may have joy, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. And so he's leaving them with this, this call, this reminder that what I want for them to experience in the midst of the world is this joy that comes from you. He's talking about his people being in the world, but not of the world. Have you guys heard that terminology before? In the world, not of the world. That's where this um, comes from. So being in the world means, it means like being 
presence somewhere, right? It means like dwelling with people, being with, being present side by side, alongside. That's what it means for us to be in the world, okay? And so we all, because we have bodies and we have addresses, we are in the world. We live here, okay? But being of the world is something a little bit different. Being of the world means like originating from, right? Or being like like-minded with, being cut from the same cloth as. And so we can live in the world, and not be of the world, right? So we can have a physical address, and we can have neighbors and friends and everything else, but we don't have to do things in the same way that the world does them. And so Jesus is praying that we would be safe and protected and kept in the midst of this world, but the, the prayer is in the world, but not of it. Now, here's something that's really important, I think, to keep in mind that's been a realization for me this summer is as we've been going through, Jesus is using terminology like the world. You are not of the world, right? You're, you're, you're um, in the world, but you're not of the world. Or Jesus says, the world will hate you because the world hates me, okay? And so there's this picture of this world that is hostile to Jesus, this world that's hostile to us. And we have to ask the question of what does, like, what does he mean? Like, what is the world? Is it, is it the physical creation? Is it, the, is it our friends and neighbors that are, you know, scary and whatever? Is, is it like, who is the world? And there's a few things that Jesus says in this chapter, as we've talked about this a couple times, that, that help me understand what he means when, by the world. So he says in John chapter 15, he talks about this world that hated him and that will hate them. And he says, for, for these people, this world, these people that are in the world, it's written in their law that dot, dot, dot. And so he's saying this people that's the world, right? We think of the pagan, godless, like awful people that don't believe in God, right? He's saying, no, no, the people that are looking in their law, like the, the, the religious leaders, the religious people at the time, these are the people that he's calling the world in that setting. He talks in the beginning of chapter 16 um, that we looked at about how they'll put you out of their synagogues. The world will put you out of their synagogues. Who had the synagogues? It's the religious leaders at the time. And he talks about how they'll, they'll persecute you thinking that they're offering service to God. The, the, the world that he's talking about, I think, is both people that are just, you know, living their lives without any thought of God, but it's also the people that, man, in the name of God are doing all these, like, oppressive, harmful things. And it, it is, that's not that big of a thing to think about if you, if you consider who put Jesus to death. Ultimately, it was, um, it was the, the Roman Empire, right? The kind of godless, we're going to do our own things, our secular society people. And it was the religious leaders at the time that were both handing Jesus over. And so the world that will oppose, the world that we're to be in but not of— is certainly, yeah, like godless society, right? But it also is these religious people that, that, are, that are trying to bring us back into like a legalistic way of being and trying to get us to, to earn our relationship with God a little bit more, trying to get us to clean up before we come into the Lord's house. Like all of these types of things are religious things. And when we stick close to what Jesus was calling us to do, then just like Jesus, we're going to be opposed by those don't want to have anything to do with God, and will be opposed by those people that think that they have God all to themselves in their likeness. And Jesus is saying here, I want you in that world. I want you in amongst those people, but, but don't be like them. Don't be of them. Like, you are being called to a different way, a way of humility, a way of grace, a way of, of actual truth. And in the midst of that, we live and we work in a different way. Now, what happens is, I, I read this, this author that blew my mind with prepositions, okay? So this happens sometimes. And he says, uh, we, we are called to be in the world, but not of the world. And he says, what happens for Christians is we actually often can become of the world, but not in it. And so he says, what that looks like is we look at everyone around us and we think everyone's so scary and everyone disagrees so much. And I don't like what's coming down from, from on, on top. And I, I don't like what everyone's talking about and how society is changing. And that leads us then 
to separate ourselves, to leave the world, and we come to our isolated retreats, and we leave people behind, and we kind of abandon all these spheres of our society, and so we're definitely not in the world, right? But meanwhile, we're pointing our fingers, and we're, we're judgmental, and we're, we're speaking down to the people that are different that we disagree with, and be, we become of the world in that sense, because we're slandering, and we're, we're um, demeaning, we're belittling the people around us, and so Jesus is definitely not calling us to be of the world, but not in it. He's calling us to be in the world, but not of it. To, to live different sorts of lives, to experience the, the life of eternity that he places in our hearts, to know him, to live close to him, to live like him, to be the kind of people that Jesus was and is in the midst of the world. And a beautiful way to look at that comes in these next verses. So verses 14 to 19, Jesus talks about this. And I think in this section, he's giving us a priestly and prophetic way of functioning the world. I want to read these verses, and then I'm going to explain what I mean by that. He says in verse 14, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Okay, a lot there. But what he's done, Jesus is saying, I, look, I want, the, I think he says it so clearly, I do not want you to take them out of the world. I want, these people are where I want them. I want them in the world, okay? So as they're there, what is he doing? He's saying, I have given them my word, right? He says that in verse 14. I've given them your word. The world has hated them because they're not of the world just as I'm not of the world. And so he's, he's calling, I've given you your word. He says in verse 17, your word sanctifies them. It makes them holy. It cleans them up. It, it uh, transforms them from the inside out. And so God has given us his word. Now, I think in scripture here, we have God's word. Like this is, these are the things that God has spoken. He wants us to have this. What is, according to verse 14, what is the purpose of him giving us his words, his instructions, the things that he says? What does he want us to do with that? Does he want us to grow smarter and smarter and smarter and know and know and know more all the time? I think yes. I think yes. But I don't think that's the point he's making here. I think what he's saying, I think we grow closer, we learn more, we go deeper, right? But what is he ultimately calling us to? He says at, he's given them, he's given them our, his word so that we will be sanctified, so that we will be transformed, so that our lives will change. And he, he says, as that happens, in verse 14, as it happens, we're going to find ourselves at odds with the world around us, both the godless society that doesn't care anything about God, and also the religious people that want to call us into some sort of bondage to religion type of a thing. As we are transformed by the word of God, not just to entering our heads, but it's sinking down in our hearts and it beginning to shape our lives. As that begins to happen, we find ourselves at odds with the world around us that's pulling us in one of these two directions. And he says, as they do that, that I think this is where the change comes. I think this is where the transformation comes. And I think, man, this is where, like, we as Christians, we need to stop running from the tension of, wow, just because I disagree with somebody, I've got to run away. No, you don't have to. God put us there intentionally to experience tension and to live life among people that we disagree with. And the only thing that Jesus prays, the only thing that's even a little bit escapist in this, is he prays, I don't pray that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. There it is again. Jesus is praying that God would keep them, protect them, keep them from being like the evil one, keep them from being um, uh, aligned with him, call us into something deeper and bigger and more holy. Now, 
to talk about this, I wanna, um, I'm going to take a tangent, but I promise it's going to work out, okay? The tangent is this, priests and prophets, okay? In the Old Testament, you had priests. And what that was is there was the, the house of God, okay? And so people would come, and they would come to worship God. They would make their sacrifices. They would, they would make these offerings to God. It was their way of worshiping him. It was their way of connecting with him. And priests were regular people, just like you and me, that God would take that person, and they would do these, like, ritual ceremonial things, like hand washing and offering a, a sacrifice and kind of confessing your sins. And that ritual stuff would consecrate or, like, purify or make holy the priest, so that they could stand in front of the people and say, hey, this is what God is saying to you, people, and then would also look back to God and saying, hey, God, hear the prayers of your people. And so they're the, the, the priest is like this go-between between the people of God, and there was this consecration, this making holy of themselves before God that the priest would do. The prophets were similar, but the prophets were way weirder, okay? So rather than them being in the temple, they were sent to go out to the people. And it was the same thing. They'd have this vision of God. He would show himself to them, and then he would have this moment where he would make them holy, consecrate them, set them apart for this work, and then he would send them out. So let, let's look at a few of these prophetic figures, okay? So first of all is Jeremiah, all right? And the word of God comes to Jeremiah. This is before he says a word. The word of God comes to him, and he says, before I, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you, and I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And then Jeremiah says to the Lord, Oh, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Don't say I am only a youth. For to all whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. So what do we see? Jeremiah has an encounter with God. He hears the voice of God. And God's telling you, I've consecrated you. He's been made holy, set apart for this purpose. And then he is sent to this people to speak what God calls him to speak. Isaiah, we talked about this last week and we looked at it last summer. Isaiah sees this vision of God in the temple. And man, God's glory is just like flooding out of the temple. And his, like, his robe is just like spilling over. And there's these angelic beings that are just screaming about how holy God is. And they, they can't fully be in God's presence. And after Isaiah experiences and sees this glory of God that is just so overwhelming for human, he says, woe is me, I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim, one of the angels that's there, flies over to him, and he takes in his hands a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched it to my mouth, and he said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. He says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, here I am, send me. So here is Isaiah, a vision, a picture of the glory of God. And then he is consecrated, right? The angel comes and takes the coal and it's really gruesome, but, but cleanses his lips, like purifies him, right? And then sends him out to go on God's behalf to these other people. One more, Ezekiel. Um, Ezekiel, same thing. He sees the craziest vision of all. And there's like, these angelic beings, and it's like the glory, and the it's just all this crazy stuff. And so he sees all that, and then that second paragraph, after he falls on his face after seeing it all, says, Son of man, stand on your feet. I will speak to you. He spoke it to me. The Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet, and I heard him say to me, Son of man, I am going to send you to the people of Israel. And so here is, again, this call. He sees the vision of God. He has this encounter with God, and then he's consecrated. The Spirit of God comes into him. He's made wholly consecrated, right? And then he's sent to God's people. Now, coming to this passage in John 17, what do we see in this whole thing? 
Jesus is giving us, as his people, this exact same calling. So I don't, I don't usually like to do this, but the, the English uses uh, three different words there. Holy, sanctify, and consecrate. But the Greek word, the word that it's translating is actually hagios, okay? And it just means holy. And it's the same word throughout. So the theme in this passage that we don't necessarily see is in verse 11, he's saying, holy father, like you, like hagios father, right? Keep them in your name. And he's calling on the father to sanctify or to hagiaize them. Make them holy in your truth. Your word is truth. You sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. And for their sake, I hagiaize, make, make myself holy so that they may be hagiaized in truth. The English is just trying to make sense and like make it read in English, right? Um, but what it is, it's this consecration type of a thing. It's this, this whole thing. Like God is not calling us, again, back to Amy Carmichael, God is not calling us into this thing where we get saved and we see who God is and he's, and he's like, thank you. All I've ever wanted is for you to acknowledge me. Let me grab my pitchfork. Let me swing you up into heaven. We're going to be good. Let's leave all these other suckers behind. That's not been what God's about, right? What he does, it's so much more important than that. Jesus is saying, I've been consecrated. I have been set aside. I came down to this earth to be with you and to call you into something greater. And he's saying, I gotta go, but I am sending you now, you disciples. Like you are there. I am consecrating you. I am making you holy for this task. And what is the task? It is to be in the world, right? But not of it. To be in this world as a consecrated person, one that goes out with the blessing of God, one that goes out in the love of God, one that goes out in all this hope and healing and wholeness and offering that to the people that are around you. Like that is the call in this passage is for us to be deputized as the priests and the prophets of the Lord, to stand amongst a bunch of people that are hurting and that are struggling and that just have so much weight and frustration and everything around them, right? And we stand there, and the Christian tendency is, man, things have gotten really bad. Let's, like, start our commune. Let's get up out of here. Let's only listen to the voices that agree with us, right? And we separate ourselves from the whole thing. Meanwhile, Jesus is standing here saying, no, no, no. I have placed you where you're at for a purpose. He, he literally says, God, please don't take them out of the world. Keep them in the world, but, but, but consecrate them. Make them holy. Let them be in the midst of this people. Man, I... I Every time I watch the news, which I try not to do, and, and read the articles, and I, I scroll down social media, right, you just see how much everybody is hurting. And what's hard for me is I, I see that, and I think, oh my goodness, I know a God who loves these people so deeply, right? He is calling all of us into this wholeness and this healing. And so we as the church, those that are connected, those that spend time, we spend time worshiping this God, and we, we offer our lives to him, and we're trying to be shaped by his word as he speaks to us, right? We should be the ones that have this answer of wholeness and healing and hope. But what we tend to do is we either fight back being of the world, like the world. We fight back in the same way. We divide in all the same ways. Or we just remove ourselves from the situation. And we find some place that we can be a club together. But Jesus is saying, no, you're there. And I've sanctified you. And think of Isaiah, right? He's there. He sees it. He needs to be set aside, hoggyized consecrated. And so the, the angel comes and purifies his lip with this hot coal and then sends him out, right? Jesus is saying, okay, you've had this encounter, this experience with me. And so here I am, and I've given you my word that's going to consecrate you. So think of the word of God as this coal that then cleanses our lips and makes us pure and holy before God, begins to transform us, right? Man, there are things in this book that will transform our lives as God speaks to us. 
as he speaks not just into our minds, but into the recesses of our hearts, as we hear this message of unconditional love, of acceptance, of forgiveness of sins, of this calling that we have that begins to change our lives and we become a different kind of a people. And again, the point is not so that we can then run and escape, but so that we can live with people. This, this, this picture of blessing and hope and healing and inviting people to experience what we ourselves experience in the Lord. I think there's so much healing that the church has to offer. Not because we're amazing, not because we've figured it out, um, and definitely not because we've hidden away from everybody else, but because, man, we're experiencing this message of hope and life in Jesus. I had this, this picture in my mind this week, and I'll just end with this, of um, there's, there's the fires that are going on, okay? And I started there with, you know, the world's on fire. And there's the firefighters that are up there that are just like heroes, you know what I'm saying? Like, like who's, whose job is it, right? When the rest of us are like, okay, fire's there, evacuate, everybody go, right? Their firefighters are the ones that are like, okay, that's my job. I'm going to go and I'm going to fight that. And they're so brave and they're so selfless and it's crazy to imagine the conditions of all that. But I'm picturing in my head a firefighter that's like, whoa, 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 this forest is on fire. Get me out of here, right? You can just imagine a, a firefighter praying like, there's fire here. Lord, get me out of here, right? Now, that's what I would pray because I'm not a firefighter, right? And be like, Lord, there's fire in these woods. Get me out of here, right? But a firefighter is saying, there's fire in this woods. That's why I'm here, right? I've got to bring some kind of healing to this forest. I've got to put these fires out. I've got to do what I can for it. Man, and I just picture us as Christians, and we're firefighters in this scenario, you know? The world is on fire. And yeah, we could run and we could hide out and everything else. And that might, you know, it's worked out for some folks on some level. I don't know. People get weird when they, when Christians go into communes, they end up drinking Kool-Aid. You know what I'm saying? It's not a good idea. Let's not do that. <clears throat> we are the firefighters in this scenario. And there is a world that's on fire, right? And so what do they need? They, they need us. They really do. They need us to be there, to be brave, to be bold, to be loving, to be consecrated, um, through the word of God, to be transformed, not to sit there and tell everybody how bad they are, but to tell them all the hope and the healing that we ourselves find. And, and, and if we're not finding it, okay, then we're not going to be very good at explaining it to other people. And so finding it more and more ourselves. I think of my family fighting, and I, you know, that happens from time to time. And I think of my girls fighting, everything else. And sometimes family life is just rough, right? But as a dad, you don't get a, the option of just like cut and run. Nope, this is my family. I stay here. I, it is not because I've ever become a good dad or have ever considered myself to have figured it out as a dad. Nope, it's just I'm going to figure it out as I go, and I know my calling is to be here, and I will mess up with my family, and I constantly do, but I'm also going to be there as a presence to help heal and bring hope. And, man, I think that's our calling as Christians. This is such a good section. I love it so much. And um, the next section that we're going to get into, the la one more week on John 17 on this Upper Room series, and man, as we step into that, it is just such a good reminder of what Jesus is calling us to. This last one is going to be on unity, and it's, it's shocking, the things that Jesus says as he's praying for our unity. It's shocking. If we could live anything like what he's calling us to, man, it would be a beautiful thing. Um, we're going to continue to sing and, and worship together. We're going to sing another song here, but let me just pray for us. Father, thank you so much that you have loved us in a way that I will never fully understand. Thank you that you have offered yourself for us to be this peace that heals and brings us together. Thank you that you've allowed us to not just be changed by you, but changed for a purpose and changed to bring light and hope and love to a world that, that definitely has lost that. And Lord, I confess that I myself am as prone to fighting and division and 
frustration as anybody else. And I just pray, Lord, that your spirit would work in me, heal what's broken in me, heal, heal what's hurting in me. Um, use us as this beautiful church family. Use us to be hope and healing and light to the world around us. There's so much, Lord, that you offer to everyone that we encounter. And Lord, as you send us, Lord, you send us to the places that we already are. And Lord, thank you. Thank you for all the places that we are, that we don't have to go somewhere different, but we are where you've already sent us. And we can be hope and healing and light in those spaces. I pray that you would nudge us, guide us, and care for us as we try that. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.